Hi people, and how are my Chili Con Carnage crew? It's Chili here from Live List and Erased. Nothing stirs controversy more than someone else's list. This one is, of course, my list on Iron Man's albums, ranked from worst to best according to my opinion and as of recording. Now, Iron Maiden is a difficult band to really make a list on because, for me, so many of their albums have jumped from being really good to really bad and vice versa. They just keep moving around a lot of the albums. There's probably only one or two that really have stayed the course, but for uh, you know, for a band that's been around for 40 plus years, um, actually, no, they're coming up to 50. For a band that's been around for that long, they have quite the sort of affair of music to go through. And as always, people, don't forget to comment below. I'd love to see your lists. I want to see what you would rank the Iron Maiden albums. You know, tell me below, starting from your favourite to your worst. And I am very keen. Now, let's get into this very controversial episode, surely, because someone's favourite is going to be someone else's worst album of theirs. Is Iron Maiden a band that has recorded only good albums? The short answer is no. They have released some really dull albums. But is there any album out there that just doesn't have any good tracks? That's the main question. And to me, the last album in the list, the worst album they've done, has no redeeming our tracks. For me, the last one on the list is going to be No Prayer for the Dying. And I absolutely despise this album. It's such a subpar record. At the end of the day, I just don't see any redeeming songs, any great songs that are worth playing or worth coming back to. You can say what you want about, say, Tail Gunner or Holy, Holy Smoke, I should say. But these are just, just terrible. It's such an average album. You know, Mother Russia was so... Ugh, and Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. What the hell is that? It's just such a crap album by the band. And, you know, it really irks me. This is, like, I think, the fourth album I ever bought because I like the album cover. And it really bothered me that I bought this album at the end of the day. Very subpar recording quality as well. You know... Uh, they really wanted to try and capture that newer sound of the 90s, and they just didn't. It, it, it was, you know, just this pretty average album, but at the end of the day, and a really terrible start to uh, Janet Gere's, you know, career with the band to come on to such a weak album. You know, I don't know whether that speaks volumes to the band's mentality at the time or whatever. You know, obviously they just lost Adrian and, you know, he left the band earlier. But uh, it clearly shows a band in distress. And yeah, it, it was not exactly smooth sailing for the band at this time. The next album on the list is going to be The X Factor for me. This usually ends up on the tail end of most Maiden fans' lists. Uh, Blaze Bailey's first record with the band was met with mm, mixed criticisms, I could say at the best. And it was a very long album, really, for back in the day. Uh, there is some decent songs here, you know, uh, Signs of the Cross is not a bad track, Lord of the Flies and stuff like that, but... It really needed to have two, three tracks cut off of this. It was a very long record at the end of the day. It's something like, 
you know, uh, 70 minutes long and it, it's 11 tracks. It just, it's a reoccurring theme with Iron Maiden to write albums that are really long and far exceed probably the time limit that they should go for. You know, cull it down, boys, because seriously, this is a very long album and you really do feel it on this album. It's it's just not that good to, you know, go back. And, and the album cover as well is just laughable. Uh, it, it's just not a great listen to. <laughs> At the end of the day, I very much would skip this album. The next album I will pick for this list is going to be The Final Frontier. We have the first entry for Bruce Dickinson's second era with the band, and it's such a boring affair at the end of the day. It's just bland, long, more dull tracks. It didn't really capture the themes and elements that they managed to do so well in earlier records from when Bruce Dickinson rejoined the band, and it, it kind of felt like a waste at the end of the day. I mean, Satellite 15, for example, is an interesting opening track, but it's such a long opener. You know, it's like three minutes long almost. It, it, it's a very long little bass, electronic-y bass, actually, section. I, I think it's bass or keyboard, I don't know, but, you know, I, I can imagine in a live setting that would be great to just get the band on stage, revving everyone up, and it'd be cool, but, damn, it's such a long intro when you're listening to the record, you know, and you back it into El Dorado, so what, and Isle of Avalon is nine minutes, and it's just really long, and I, I, I remember listening to this, I bought the CD actually when it came out, and... I think this is one of the last records I ever bought, you know, obviously going over to Spotify, and I was just extremely disappointed. I remember listening to it a couple of times and went, yeah, I'm going to go listen to some of their other previous stuff instead. I haven't really come back to this album. I've never felt the need to return to this album. I just don't enjoy it. There wasn't anything that really caught my mind. Uh... You know, the man who would be king kind of does okay, but but outside the first, you know, th two or three tracks is just meh. Of course, we've got to back this one up with another one from their recent records, and this one's going to be a big one, I reckon. Senjutsu. I just don't like the record. <laughs> I've done my five minute review on regards in regards to Iron Maiden Senjutsu. I found it a very overbloated production and it went for too long. It's something like an hour and 23 minutes. I mean, guys, cut four minutes off the track and you can fit it onto one bloody record. At the end of the day, it's such a long freaking album. You know, there's a, I mean, the last three tracks are each 10 minutes plus. You know, and it's, it's, you, you could get rid of one of those tracks, I'm sure, just to cull it down to that one CD run length, but Iron Maiden being Iron Maiden want to do long songs and want to do long records and really push that envelope, and Senjutsu just never did it for me. I hated the lead single, The Writing on the Wall. I think that's got to be their weakest single in the last 20 years. It's so bland and lifeless. 
You know, can you hear the writing on the wall? I don't know what to say about that. The video clip was meh. The music was crap. There's some good songs on there at least. You know, Days of Future Past was okay. Darkest Hour. Uh, I thought the first track, Senjutsu, wasn't bad. But there is some very average tracks amongst the mix. And unfortunately, it brings it down for me probably doesn't help as well it's also the newest in so it doesn't receive as much love maybe I'll come back to this album in a few weeks time but for me this is where it sits I'm sure this next selection is probably going to get me a bit crucified here but it's my list at the end of the day and this is just my opinion but for me the next one I would put up is fear of the dark It's, again, another lifeless record only saved by two tracks. <laughs> there is only two tracks that aren't bad here. Of course, Fear of the Dark, mammoth track. Absolutely incredible to hear live and a live staple. You know, it's an absolute banger. And mm, Be Quick or Be Dead, sorry, Be Quick or Be Dead, I should say, and From Here to Eternity, both are decent tracks. But... You just have this midsection from tracks three onwards to the, you know, Weekend Warrior that is so crap. It's mush. It's porridge. It's nothingness. <laughs> it's no sustenance. It's so terrible. It's just such a crap album. I it it, it really drags the curve down for the rest of the album. If this album were merely Four tracks, you know, Be Quick or Be Dead, From Here to Eternity, Fear of the Dark, and, I don't know, uh, The Fugitive or something like that. Then it would be a really good EP. A really solid one. But it's not. It's a full album. It's, you know, 12 tracks, and it's not. It's a decent run time. It's only 60 minutes, which is considerably short for Iron Maiden. But it's just so much averageness. <laughs> And unfortunately, it does bring it down. That's what I mean. It's Saving Grace really is Fear of the Dark. You took that one track off, this would probably be the second worst album they've ever done, in my opinion. You know, that's the only Saving Grace. That's the only reason it's so high on this list. You take Fear of the Dark off Fear of the Dark, and it's just a terrible album. This next one's definitely going to have a lot of keyboard warriors hitting dislike and all the rest, but Somewhere in Time is going to be my next selection for From Worst to Best. And the reason really is because out of all the 80s era, Maiden, this was the last album that I got around to. And it was very late in my Maiden fandom. You know, it was... For some reason, I, I don't know, the, the artwork always caught my attention as very odd. It was unique, but odd compared to the rest. And I just never really found any of the tracks standing out, you know. Amongst their live uh, albums, there are a couple of tracks they might play from this, like Sea of Madness or whatever. Uh, but aside from that, they don't seem to touch this album too much. And I know there's a lot of people who love this album and call it one of their best. I just don't see it though, because I really haven't listened to it too much. 
I've played it through a few times and thought, yeah, it's not bad, but it's not that great. In fact, only in the last week or two did I really sit down and, you know, go from start to finish, and I was like, yeah, there's some decent tracks here, but I think if I come back in six months' time and really sit down and listen to this on repeat a few times, this might be an album that scores higher in the list. That's why I'm interested to see, if I do this in six months' time, say, where some of these albums are going to be, because, you know, they, they might move around a bit, I might read some of the comments that people are saying, oh, you should check out this or that or something, and I'll, I might change my mind, that's why I'm interested, this is a band that, you know, I, I can shift around a bit, so, yeah, look, for me, Somewhere in Time just doesn't rank that high, it was just an album I never really listened to until later on, and it never really stuck with me, so, unfortunately, this is where it sits. Again, this is another one people are going to raise eyebrows about, but Virtual XI. That is an album I have been really playing a lot of recently, and I think it gets too much flack because it's, again, a Blaze Bailey record. Why do we have Blaze Bailey in such a high spot? Well... He's not a bad singer. I mean, when you got to follow up from the one and only Bruce Dickerson, how the hell... I mean, how can you, first of all, follow up from the one and only? It's just so... Such a big mammoth task to achieve. And Bruce, you know, he's a, he's a unique singer. But Blaze approaches the band, and I think they kind of hit their stride on this album. You know, a lot of people will rank this much lower in the list, but I think they kind of write off the record completely because it's not Bruce, I'm not listening to this album. Plus the album artwork is a bit, hey, <laughs> how's it going? From memory, I think Ed Hunter came out shortly after this album and had a few tracks as well from that Ed Hunter, if people can recall. I think it was a CD-ROM game that you could play with Iron Maiden in the background playing the music. So, interesting little conception for back in 99 or whenever it was. But, yeah, Virtual XI is an album that I've been listening to a lot recently, or Virtual 11, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's an album I've been really playing a lot recently and getting into thoroughly. Um, you know, Future Real... I, I, I mean, there's, a, there's another channel that I follow, uh, The Chill Dude on the Couch. Check him out. I will put the link below in regards to his video because he discusses Virtual Exile with a few guests. And it's a really interesting episode to hear these guys talk about this album because, you know, it was probably something that was very much overlooked back in the day. But I think it's a bit of a hidden gem, to be honest. It might have a bit of resurgence as well. Um, look, they, the people on the show did discuss, for example, the issues with some of the lyrics, like, for example, The Angel and the Gambler, which has excessively, uh, overused lyrics of the main title. I think it was, like, used 22 times or something, and yes, I'm gonna take gripes with that. If they shortened it to half the length, it would be a good song. Uh, but I remember one of them said that they didn't like the track Lightning Strikes 2, uh, twice. I love this track. I love Lightning Strikes twice. It's really cool. I like it how they're talking about lightning strikes twice with the drums and, you know, the Klansman. Absolute fantastic track. Future Real. I think that's the shortest Maiden track ever put to record. It's under three minutes long. Um, the Educated Fuel. Uh, don't look to the eyes of the stranger. Wow. Don't look to the eyes of a stranger. And, I mean, I don't really listen to the last track. It's odd. But... 
yeah, it, there's a lot of really good tracks on here, and it really does hit hard. I think if Blaze Bailey had one more chance with the band around this time, they might really be onto something, you know? It, it would have been interesting to see the band with him trying out one more time, because it just would have sounded... Yeah, I, I feel like with the first album that Blaze Bailey did, um, The X Factor, it was a bit of adjustment within the band. You know, you you had a new singer, you had relatively new guitarist, um, key sections kind of been around for a little bit, but still, it's it's a lot of new things that they're trying out, and it's a whole new scene, of course, of music, and they're trying out a few things. But The X Factor might have been through trials and tribulations, a bit of a failure, of course, a failure. But Virtual Eleven, they they kind of they're kind of getting into a groove. They're kind of understanding their positions within the band. So, like I said, I mean, it, it's a bit unfortunate that Blaze only had two chances with the band. Uh, I, I think a third would have really been interesting, but hey, that's another what-ifism that we will never have the answer to. So, yeah, Virtual Eleven is an album that, for the longest of times, would have sat towards the end of my list as one of the worst albums purely basing that on the fact that I didn't play it so much and it wasn't a Bruce album. But when I gave it a chance, it really did strike me as a really good record. So, Maiden fans, if you haven't really given Virtual Eleven a chance, I really do recommend you play it. The following one is also going to be an odd one, but Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. This album to me is memorable in its music, but memorable as well for the very average drum kit. I, I'm surprised more people don't really talk about this. You know, St. Anger had its issues regarding drums, and it's nowhere near the issues of the drumming quality of St. Anger, but it is a very terrible sounding drum track from this album. I know they moved to that synth drum level, of course, for this album, and that's what really made it stand out <laughs> at the best. But it was such an average album sound-wise. You know, those drums are terrible. I don't think it really gets stated enough. I hate the drums on this album, people. I really do. All things considered, though, even though the tracks are pretty okay, passable, they're very memorable. So, you know, you can I play with Madness? It, it, it is an album, sorry, it's a track, that one in particular, it feels so dated. It really hasn't aged well in the guitar sound and the album, of course, again, it's how it comes down to in production. It, yeah. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's a very catchy tune. Can I play with madness? You know, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, yeah, not bad. Okay, The Clairvoyant, very good one, of course. Infinite Dreams and Moonchild, all these tracks, very, very catchy and, you know, earworms, but. I think the production really drags it down. If this was really remastered, or actually re-recorded, to be perfectly honest, it could be a bit higher. Uh, as it stands, there is a remastered version, but I don't think it does it justice. It really doesn't sound well. It just sounds terrible for a remaster. I don't like it. <laughs> 
that's just it. I just don't like this album exactly as much as probably other people do. Yeah, band were going for that kind of proggy element on this one, and it does okay, but as far as proggy and Iron Maiden go, well, there's another album further up that does well. The next one on this list is going to be Iron Maiden's self-titled album. Iron Maiden, the very first release. And it's an interesting mix, you know, and to hear, of course, Paul D'Amano's first, sorry, Paul D'Anno, I can't pronounce his last name, Paul's vocals is very different, a stark comparison, you know, in he isn't that kind of classically trained person compared to Bruce or even Blaze. Uh, he's more rough, guttural, if you will. And it's interesting to hear the band and how far they've progressed because this is a very raw sounding record. You know, when you can hear within some of these tracks like Phantom of the Opera, the way the ideas are coming from which, you know, Phantom of the Opera kind of really personifies what the band would become. But then you've got other tracks like, I don't know, Prowler or Iron Maiden and stuff like that that were much more rough and raw and kind of trying for something there. You know, there's other really good tracks, of course, with Remember Tomorrow. And uh, Charlotte the Harlot's an odd one. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I always just remember that, you know, Charlotte the Harlot gave me too bad. Now, Transylvania, actually that's a song that gets covered a lot. I think Iced Earth even did a cover of Transylvania. Um, Running Free as well, Remember Tomorrow. All these tracks, just really good. It's really interesting to see the band in their primal stages, I guess you could say. It's a really good record. I remember downloading, I remember getting this thing. You know, I downloaded it back in the day and... It blew my mind because, you know, I was listening to their early 80s stuff. And then I'm like, oh, they've got other stuff, and it was with a different singer. Okay, and it goes back to whatever it was, 1979, I think this album goes back to. And it was like, what is this? This is almost like a different band. And, you know, it, it was, although most, I mean, this is the only time I think Dennis played guitars with them. And it is a very different guitar style, you know, to what we would come to expect. But again, this is a band in their primal stages. It's just so different to what we would come to expect from these guys. So, interesting to play. I think it sits well where it is. And, yeah, <laughs> it's a decent album. Speaking of very decent albums, we have one that I kind of haven't listened to in a little while with A Matter of Life and Death. Now, when I mentioned earlier that, you know, Iron Maiden tried their hand at progressive sounding tunes on Seventh Son of a Seventh Son and didn't really hit it that hard out of home, then I mentioned that progressive would be better. And this is the one I'm talking about. Very good tunes in their progressive elements. And this is about as close as the band will come to being Sabaton <laughs> in lyrical madness anyway. Because... A lot of these tracks, they really do follow war elements and, you know, you kind of feel, I guess, a bit battle fatigued by the end of this because there are so many tracks here that just talk about, you know, all these things. Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, uh, The Reincarnation, uh, sorry, Out of the Shadows, The Longest Day, 
Uh, not the first time either, that, not sorry, not the last time I should say, that they would talk about the D-Day landing and stuff, but uh, different worlds, uh, different worlds, sorry. These colours don't run. Good track, actually. Uh, blowback to the Americans, I think. If I can recall correctly, these colours don't run was written because I think they were at Americans, uh, sorry, American performance and something about they they were tried they were discussed they had to leave the the stage for something and you know being British or whatever something about the flag I can't remember but you know Bruce just said yeah these colors don't run as in run away so yeah there's, there's a good story behind that one I, I I actually thought it was um these colors don't run as in like fade away um, I guess that plays into the themes of it too, you know, you can open to interpretation, but, you know, it's an album that I remember playing a lot back in the day, a lot, but, uh, I just never really went back to it for a couple of years, and only recently came into my repetitive, you know, songs to play through. I always enjoyed the album cover work, I thought it was very intricate and oddly designed, you know, this World War II kind of looking, plague-driven crew of misfits aboard a tank and of course Ed just standing there and it was just an album I really enjoyed playing through there were a lot of long tracks a lot of progressive elements that I thought they hit and they hit the nail on the head you know they hit, they hit the nail on the head very well I think with a lot of it but I can see why a lot of fans don't like it it can just become a bit overbearing I guess so yes matter of life and death I think is a really good record and it could possibly stand to go a bit higher, to be honest, if I went back and listened to it a bit more. So it'd be interesting to see how that one goes. The next one up I have is, of course, Paul's last outing with Killers. And the band, again, just hits a stride really well with this. They start to progress within themselves and write really catchy tunes, of course. You know, with Genghis Khan, Innocent Exile, Murders in the Room Morgue, Ides of March is a really cool opener track. Actually, I take that back, looking over the times on this one. Wrathchild, probably a little bit shorter than one of the earlier tracks I just mentioned from um, Virtual Eleven there. But, you know, really short tracks in comparison to all their works i think the longest track that we have here is prodigal son at six minutes but everything else is like three four minutes long it is just in your face kind of punkish in energy and it just shows the band really hitting it out of the park i love it this is a cool album and a very iconic album cover as well iron maiden are very well known for their designs and i love this design i want to get the shirt with this design on it you know it is such a cool thing eddie standing over there smiling at us with that hammer in hand and the hands just clawing up at us uh clawing up at eddie i should say like god why <laughs> it's a you know a terrifying piece i i'll smash your head in listening to this so yeah a really cool song i i think this album for me anyway holds a high place because you know it's like through rose tinted glasses almost uh, nostalgia i believe this could actually sink a little bit lower upon re-listening to it I've almost listed it here purely on nostalgia factors. I, I played this on loop so many times, you know, 20 years ago, and loved it. I, I still love it. But 
be interested to see where this one might move in a couple of months' time, you know, going back to this list. But still, Genghis Khan and Innocent Exile, Another Life, kick-ass tunes. The next album we have up on From Worst to Best is going to be Iron Maiden's worst album cover. Of course, I'm talking about Dance of Death. Yeah, Iron Maiden fans, we all know it. And it's been on many lists for bands with terrible album covers. And when you look at it, you can see why. It's such a terrible job. I think... From memory, the original artist who did this didn't want his name on the artwork even from the album because he felt it was such a disappointment. His original design was actually just that character of death in the middle, but for some reason they decided to add all these weird 3D animated things off to the side, and he hated that. He's like, what are you doing to my creation? Put my name off this. I don't want to be known for it. You know, the original artwork isn't bad. I think it's just got too much crap floating around. Now we've talked about the album cover, let's talk about the actual music here. And this was my first foray into Iron Maiden. This was, I think, the first album I really got. I was down library and I found it and, I mean, despite the album cover looking shonky, I was like, hmm, that's interesting, I know of the band Iron Maiden, I will borrow this CD and listen to it. And of course, it just starts off really well, Wildest Dreams just plays into that tune perfectly rainmaker no more lies it's this really cool track you know no more lies dun, 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 dun. you know dance of death is this really intricate story of course and I, I love that tune just listening to the way that he spins that tale of you know surviving and uh, this possible encounter with death uh, gates of tomorrow is really cool one of the biggest um, highlights on this album, and one I love to really go back to, is the track Passchendaele, which almost kind of, for, you know, it was more, I guess, an idea of where Iron Maiden were going to go with the future. Uh, it's a track that seems to be criminally underplayed on this album, at 10 million plays on Spotify according anyway. But Passchendaele, of course, long track, eight and a half minutes long, <coughs> and it tells the story of some soldiers who fought at World War One at the front of Passchendaele. And for me, that's how I kind of learnt a bit about World War One. You know, was listening to this story vividly painted so well by Bruce's lyrics and of course it had a really kick ass tune to follow. You know, tell the world of Passchendaele yeah, just this really intricate musical piece that just flows so perfectly and remains probably one of my favourite Iron Maiden tracks ever recorded. You know, there's some really good tracks, of course, with Age of Innocence and Journeyman to finish off the album. And there's not many weak tracks, really. It's a really good album, but it ranks a bit low because, well... There's other albums that are better out there, which kind of speaks testament to how well Iron Maiden have done over their time. This next album is surely going to get my ass kicked, but for me, it's peace of mind. It's an album that I kind of haven't listened to in quite a few years, to be perfectly honest. I've played a few of the tracks, of course, Where Eagles Dare, The Trooper, and Die With Your Boots On, but 
um, outside of that, the tracks are okay, in my mind anyway. There's okay tracks, you know, but I mean, where Eagle's there? Absolutely stands out. Uh, Die With Your Boots On, yes. The Trooper, yes. Still Life, yes. All the rest of it, okay. And yes, that's probably a controversial opinion. They're, well, they're much better than okay. They're very decent, but... In comparison to the rest of what is coming up on the list, it doesn't feel as strong as many of the other albums. You know, uh, Peace of Mind gets a big kick up. You know, everyone loves it because it's that 80s era of Bruce Dickinson that everyone loves. But, I don't know. It fell, it fell away from my list in the last couple of years, probably because I just haven't listened to it for ages. So unfortunately, that this is where peace of mind sits. It's my list at the end of the day, and I guess who knows? I might come back to this one, and as I said, in six months' time, I'll come back and I'll redo this because who knows where these albums are going to sit in that time. We're up to the last four albums, everyone. This has been a very full-on list in regards to tracks and albums to go over. You know, Iron Maiden, absolute incredible musicians. But where are these albums going to land on the list? Well, for me, the next one that comes up is Brave New World. Lost my love. Lost my Bruce Dickinson era version 2.0. And of course, Adrian joins in the mix. And they make up their triumvirate of guitarists here. With, of course, Dave Murray, Adrian and Janik all in the foray. And it just like... Lightning striking twice here. It, it's so incredible to have the band back together and recording these tunes. And it really shows the band's evolution. You know, the 80s era is something they really couldn't recreate. So, of course, the band is going to change and evolve their sound just ever so slightly. And they did so, so many times after this, of course. But Brave New World is kind of a transition between that era and the new era. It's got these tracks that are absolutely great, fantastic, fast pieces like the Wicker Man and stuff, or you know, and there are just these other tracks there that just go a little bit longer and show the progressive elements. It showed how dangerous Iron Maiden could still be and how they could write these massively fulfilling tracks. I remember my friend talking about Ghost of the Navigator and how incredible the drumming was on that and to be honest I hadn't listened to this album he played it for me and I was blown away you know this is an incredible album I've got to listen to it I got to get a copy of it and I did and it's really good Ghost of the Navigator absolute banger Brave New World absolute banger you know Blood Brothers oof wow The Mercenary Dream of Mirrors Fallen Angel and it kind of falls away a little bit at the latter half of the album but not to the extent that it's beyond redemption. You know, the Nomad kind of feels a bit long in tooth, but otherwise, it's okay. And that album cover, it really personifies the band ready to make a roaring entrance. You know, the way that the clouds are forming back over their you know, main country, and it just overlooking England. We're ready, we're back, and we're poised to strike everyone. And they really were. <laughs> they really were. Top three, everyone. What's it going to be? Well, for me, the next pick is Power Slave. 
Yes, Dower Slave is coming in at third. Oh man, you can see where these people are going to say, what? Why not higher? Well, hear me out. So, Power Slave is a really good album, of course. Hell, it's number three, at least on this list. And for good reason. Ace is high. Two Minutes of Midnight. You know, Flash of the Blade, Power Slave, and, of course, the massively elongated piece of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. That track was incredible. I remember Two Minutes to Midnight, of course, being on uh, the Vice City album. Uh, sorry, game, I should say. And that was my first listening, first time really listening to this album. You know, I went out and bought it not too long after the Vice City game. And it was mind-melting. <laughs> Face-melting. Um, blowing away my words. You know, I'm, I'm a loss for words. <laughs> yeah, so it was a really good album. And the album cover again. Highly iconic. I love this album cover so much. But, of course, the track that really caught me by surprise, the last track on there, and for quite the longest of times, their longest track that they had recorded, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Very elemental, very progressive piece. This elongated track that just starts off strong, has this little section that dies down, and then comes back, of course, and... It really showcased Iron Maiden to a different level to me. I, I always thought there was this new wave of British heavy metal band, but to see them doing this very proggy metalish sound is like, oh, oh, there's something more to this band, and just incredible. I, I I'm overusing that word, but I, I think it's such a phenomenal piece. You know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is well known and well respected by so many fans. Fantastic, this album. Love it. The number two spot is going to the Book of Souls. There is a reason why I have it so high. That is because when it was released, I had this thing on repeat for so long. It is a really good album. I think there are pieces, of course, that go for maybe a bit too long. And, you know, I mean, I was talking before about an album being too long and needing to be culled down. And 100%, The Book of Souls needed to be culled down. But I still listen to this album so much on repeat and find it fascinating to this day. I mean, there are so many tracks here that are like, you know, 10 minute plus, almost, anyway, 10 minute plus tracks, and I don't think they're dull, dreary at all, in compared to, say, Senjutsu. So, of course, the opening track, If Eternity Should Fail, and really, really epic track to open their album, of course, and I, I think one of their greatest lead singles of the last 20 years. Speed of Light, again, another track that is absolutely fantastic. You know, compared that to Senjutsu, weak, piss weak. <laughs> but yeah, those two tracks were absolutely great to showcase what the band was recording and why they took so long to bloody do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I caught them on this tour, and actually, if you go to see their live uh, album in regards to the Book of Souls tour, uh, there is a live track as well from the Sydney show, and I was at that recording, <laughs> and I'm happy. I'm happier that I was at a live recording that is on record. So, I love this album to death. I have played it so much, and of course, it all culminates in it all culminates, I should say, with the closing track, "Empire of the Clouds." 
their longest track ever recorded, a bit over 18 minutes long. And a very interesting story behind, of course, what it is about. The, I guess, Titanic of the Seas. Uh, sorry, Titanic of the Air, I should say. And I've completely forgotten the name of the airship. I think it was Airship A320 or something now. But anyway, the name eludes me. But this incredibly intricate little piece that was so staggering. You know, it's an odd piece. And I don't think a lot of people are going to enjoy it. Not because of its length, but because of the way it was written. But I found it fascinating. Very fascinating to hear these songs just going on and you know dun 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 and it's off time in use it's almost kind of freeform even but I think it's done very well and of course I can't I can't ignore the piano section as it just builds up and up and crescendo here we come to the closing statements of the track itself and of course, we can't ignore, for example, the track Tears of a Clown, written about the late Robbie Williams, so, uh, Robin Williams, sorry, um, just sadness there, and there are just so many good tracks there, The Book of Souls, When the River Runs Deep, The Red and the Black, The Great Unknown, I mean, all of these tracks, amazing songs. And as I said, when I found this album, sorry, when I listened to this album for the first time, I don't think I stopped listening to it for a year straight. Of course, was there ever any doubt, The Number of the Beast is the best album that Iron Maiden has ever recorded. This is the starting point that anyone should go to when they want to listen to Iron Maiden. I mean, this, this album. The album cover, for example, let's start, is the most iconic 80s album artwork, I think, ever. You know, there are, I mean, Master of Puppets might come close, but really, Number of the Beast is just so well-renowned. It's parodied from many other media sources, of course, and Stormtroopers of Death even, you know, used it as one of their album covers. It's, it's so intriguing, this whole album, from start to finish, perfection, and... Oh, I mean, Invaders, Children of the Damned, The Prisoner, 22 Acacia Avenue, you know, all these songs, incredible. Of course, to be closed out by Hallowed Be Thy Name, a track that would really stand the test of times, but speaking of really standing the test of times, The Number of the Beast, the most iconic of 80s metal albums, and the most iconic track, because... Why not? <laughs> if you're going to be loud, proud, and talking about the devil, you're going to be talking about the number of the beast itself. And six, 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 the number of the beast. <laughs> this whole album is just such a perfect piece. And, you know, it's it's really sad to see, of course, that this was Clive Burr's last album. He would pass away a couple of years after with uh, MS, complications from MS. But... This is it. This is Bruce's intro to the band, and wow, what a way to start. They just really tore it down. They tore itself a new asshole when they came to this. 22 Acacia Avenue, I was just listening to it actually earlier today, and it's it's an, it's an odd track because, you know, Iron Maiden, you kind of associate them with more historical events and stuff like that, but 22 Acacia Avenue is a very almost controversial piece talking about prostitutes. <laughs> you know? And it's very odd, very odd. 
but yeah, again, just incredible tracks there. Run to the Hills, for example. Again, another piece that's just stood the test of time. And I think this whole album really has done well. It's 41 years old now, you know? And I, I think it still sounds as fresh as it did the day it was released. Without any doubt, I think this album might not have any challenges when it comes to their back catalogue. I kind of have a feeling if I come six months later and do this list again, I don't think Number of the Beast will be beaten. I don't know, it would be it would take a lot to really conquer Number of the Beast. But again, Iron Maiden, they're a band that, you know, there's a lot of albums that they put out there and their catalogue is ones that shift all the time when it comes to me anyway. So, who knows? When I come back to do this list in six months' time, things might have changed. They may be different. Maybe Number of the Beast gets knocked off the number one spot, replaced for something else. Or maybe one of the albums that you thought was your favourite, which might be a bit higher or lower. Who knows? I think it'll be interesting to do this as a little bit of an experiment and really see how my taste in music changes over the next couple of months here. Because, again... They're just such an incredible band. We love Iron Maiden, everyone. How can we not? Thank you very much for joining me on this long episode of From Worst to Best when it comes to Iron Maiden Records. And again, comment below, people, if you disagreed. Let me know if there's something that I have missed. Or give me your list. I'm very curious to see how you would rank Iron Maiden's records. You know, we love a good list, everyone, and this is a good band to really talk about. So, everyone out there, you have a great day, and uh, don't forget to do the socials, and stay spicy. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Live Listener Race. And if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with all your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our Chili Con Carnage crew so you can get notified for all the future videos that we put out, as we put out videos every Friday. Also, we are on Discord, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter over at Live Listener Race, so make sure to tune in over there. And don't forget to like this video so that our manager can stay very happy.